This is Ashley Kelsch, and you're listening to Life Coaching for Modern Renegades, episode number 81. Welcome to Modern Renegades Podcast. This is a life coaching podcast for the person who wants to learn how to lose themselves in the moment, not life circumstances. Each week, we will explore mental and spiritual practices that will inspire you to ask, seek, and heal. They are for the modern renegade. They are for you. Hello, renegades. How has your week been? How are you? I hope you are as turned on by life as I am right now. I'm having so much fun this summer with my family, with my work, with my friends, and yes, my lover. And speaking of work, I've been working on living an erotic life, like literally though, building a business to tie it into with modern renegades. And it came to me the other day because this is, you know, since December, there was potential there and some other things happened. And it brought me full circle to some intentions that I had set years ago when I closed Teddy's for Betty's that I'd sort of, I don't know what I did with them, put them on the back burner, close the door on them. Anyway, it's all been percolating and coming and rising to the top. And I was going to call it living an erotic life. And I was like, that's just so obvious. It's so obvious. And it was so much fun because this weekend I had a meeting with someone who's working with me, who used to work with me at Teddy's for Betty's for 10 years. My main, I used to say that she was running the place, but we were playing back and forth, talking like different names. And I was like, you know what? Let's just put a pin in this. I know that the name will come to me and we'll figure it out. And sure enough, a few hours later, y'all, I'm ready. Like house of other. Oh my God. I'm like wetting my pants. I'm so excited about this. So house of other dot blog. I know you're all trying to type it in right now. Slow down, slow your roll. She ain't live yet. Listen, house of other dot blog <laughs> is going to be your unedited guide to pleasure, to finding pleasure. I'm going to be rating products, places, and experiences. Think like hotels or where to go for your date night, anything of that nature. When I say places and experiences, you'll catch on soon, but based on how orgasmic they are, there's going to be conversations, reviews, and opinions. It's going to be all things clitoracy and all things my voice and me and honest and raw and edgy and sexy. And yeah, I am, oh, I'm going to be talking about where to go for a sexy getaway with your lover. If a toy is good for partner play or better for solo or what, what extras you might need with it or where maybe you might position it best and what to cook that might actually literally turn you on like aphrodisiacs. And then speaking of foods, the foods that maybe are good for your genital health, your reproductive organs, all of that. Oh man, this is just, this is my wheelhouse though. What can I say? Yeah. You know, cause here's the deal at 15 years, maybe my whole life, not my whole life. It's an exaggeration, but for a very long time, People have been emailing me and calling me and texting me to ask where they should go on a date with a new lover, what they should wear, what lube they should use now that menopause is kicking in, what toy would be best to introduce to their partner, how should they ask their lover about, how to use the toy. 
if I'm thinking of a threesome, what should I say? Do you have a hotel you would recommend for us to, to venture out and play? I'm not making any of this up either. These are things that people come to me for. And usually I'm like, you know what? I'm not sure, but I'm going to find out. Sometimes I'm like, yeah, no, I, I've already figured this out. Anyway, I love it. And I love that people know that they can come to me and ask anything. I also love that I take finding pleasure seriously. I've added several new toys and lubes to my drawer recently, and I am taking notes, Renegades. It is serious work over here. So this was just a little teaser for you. But, you know, speaking of questions that people ask me, I thought I would do an episode where I share, you know, recent Qs and As and FAQ, whether it's been from a client or friends. So yeah, that's what this is. But I think to get into the first most asked question, I would, I'm going to first tell you where I am and what I'm doing. It's that, because this is going to lead right into it. I'm in New York with my family at the moment. We're running around. And it was funny because when I was booking this trip, my ex-boyfriend slash co-parent was like, I don't understand why we're going to New York this month. We're literally coming back next month for the move in and the blah, blah, blah. I kept saying like, we need to find faith's places and spots where they are when like where they're going to be going to, you know, when we're not distracted. Cause I imagine moving week for college is going to be nervous excitement, moving into a dorm, like all the things. Yeah. But he just kept asking the question. Finally, I was like, okay, fine. You don't need to acclimate. Faith doesn't need to acclimate. I, I need to know where faith is going to be living where their things are, where does the CVS, where are they going to be getting coffee? What are the streets they're walking on? I need all of that for me, not them, not you. And clearly that answer, obviously, well, because it was the truth, it shut everybody up. (laughs) So I'm up here with my kiddos and my ex-boyfriend, like I said, he co-parents, and this is the first question, me traveling with my ex. So let's just dive in. The most questioned topic that I get in my life is 100%. What is your relationship with your ex? What's the deal with that? Wait, you guys don't sleep together. You're not romantically involved. It's not sexual, but yet you do all these things together. You're still raising kids together. Wait, he's not their dad. What do you mean? He just parents them. Where's their dad? Why does he do that? How do you guys make that work? Endless questions. And listen, I can also tell you there's a lot of judgmental things out there that people have thought or said about it. And to those people, I really enjoy what they think too, because I think it's fascinating to listen and to other people's perspectives. Cause like I, I only have my perspective. So when I hear someone else's, I'm like, Oh, I hadn't really thought about it that way. Thank you. And you know what? They get to have that, but I'm not addressing those people today. I've adopted this sort of David Sedaris practice when it comes to people making assumptions about me. I don't deny them. I let them think whatever they want. It's incredibly entertaining, first of all, but also because it it just is so telling about other people. It has nothing to do with me. And I just, like I said, I think I can't see my life the way that others do or see me. So when people are letting me know, it's fucking great. (laughs) I'm like, tell me more about me. This is amazing. She sounds like she's fucking awesome, which I am. But sometimes I'm like, I've actually like never done something like that, but I don't tell them that. So anyway, that being said, I'm not going to answer your questions about my relationship because I want to ease your judgments. 
but instead I want to address them because there are a lot of you who are curious about our relationship and its dynamics. Based on most arrangements you think you know about, and I want to stress that you think you know about, ours is a bit unorthodox. My ex and I have chosen to basically partner in life and co-parent my kids, but remain friends. We are not, like I said, at all romantically involved. When he and I ended our romantic relationship years and years ago, he and the children made the decision to stay in one another's lives, and I didn't dispute it. My children don't have a father who is with us anymore, passed away, and my ex doesn't have children. And even as that is the baseline, there's so much more to the fact that they fill a space in one another's hearts, and there was no way I was going to deny them of that. At this point, you know, all of these years later, we've, we share puppies, there's weekly family dinners, constant check-ins. We have each other's backs. And just like any other couple who have divorced or shared a life together, that's what we do. We've actually been apart almost three times longer than we were together, which is wild to me. When we first broke up, I didn't know how things were going to go, but through communication and patience and the outcome we both wanted and had in mind, we've been able to manage our way through the discomfort that comes with being in relationship, any relationship. And I'd say our love and commitment is unconditional. We have certainly proved that. Now, do I on the occasion or does he find himself at our absolute wit's ends? Oh my God, yes. But we're committed to the family and to one another for that. So, you know, you have your days and you get over them. This has taken us years to create. It is one of the most gratifying relationships I've had because there have been many moments where one of us could have walked and never talked again, but we've not done that. We just keep doing that work. It's required more from us. And I can think the average relationship does because we don't have family or friends or a piece of paper adding pressure, if you will, to our partnership. If anything, it was questioned for so long that it would have been easy to agree with everyone on the outside. Like, yeah, that is weird. No one else is doing what you guys are doing. When you break up, you don't talk to people. He's not your children's father. Why, why would you do it? It's been years of pushback. And I know that you all understand that other people's opinions can get in your head, which is why I'm talking about it, because I think many of you want to co-parent and partner with your person, but not remain romantically involved, or you want to live separately and see other people, but remain married or whatever those dynamics are. You want to raise kids together, but have your own life. And I'm here to tell you, not only is it possible, not encouraging anyone to like walk on their shit. I'm not you'll hear me out here. It's possible. And it's not your job to get everyone to accept or to get on board with you. But you've got to stop trying to get everyone to be okay with your decisions. You get to decide how you want to live your life and people get to think what they want to think about it. And I'll tell you this much, aside from a few jealous men who felt threatened by my ex, almost everyone else has come around to, fuck, I want that. Or you two have a better relationship than most married couples and love what we have created. But that's because we show up the way we do and tell people this too can work. We consciously choose our family daily. We don't have to, but we choose to, and it's not without the work. It's dedication. It's, it's a lot of work, dedication, and care. And I do want to point out 
that some of you think your relationship would be easier if you weren't together. You would be happier if you weren't together. And I'm here to tell you that is not the case. That will not be the case. You currently don't want to do the work with the person you're in relation with thinking adding a lover or opening the relationship or living in separate homes will magically fix it. And that is not going to happen. You just go from a married person with problems to single person with problems or co-parenting with problems. The work never ends. Like I said, I do more relational work with my ex than anyone. And considering how much you hear me talk about the work I'm doing in my dating life, that should give you some sort of indication as to what I'm talking about. Maintaining our relationships, friendships, partnerships, etc., require self-relational awareness. What I have is an option to anyone, but it doesn't automatically fix anything. It just gives you new problems to figure out. Moving on, another frequently asked question. When I was discussing it with a friend, I got a text saying, what does Ashley, so, okay, I got a text from my friend. It's a screenshot from her friend saying, does Ashley have thoughts on what kids should call female private parts? We adults are having a hard time saying vagina, and that's not even the right word. So like, what should we teach our kids to call it? First of all, it's an honor to be the person you thought to ask this question to. Seriously. So, so pleased and honored. I do believe our children are the future and how you decide to educate your kids affects all of us. And the fact that we live in a culture that doesn't want to call the human anatomy by its proper names and not educate on the full female body parts and purpose is kind of disturbing if you really think about it. I, like most of you, grew up with different names for my genitals, most of which would repulse me to say today. But I will say, you know, I fell back on the common vagina and I'd like to refer to her as her. And then you all know my favorite pussy, but that, that found me in adulthood. I'm not going to say I wouldn't love to see a four-year-old being like, Hey, I need a new pair of panties. I, I wet my, my pussy, whatever. I would love to hear, I'd love to hear four-year-olds drop in pussy, but I'm probably going to lose a few followers from that statement. I just think it would be funny. I'm not condoning that. I don't dislike having names. I just find it interesting that we call our eyes, eyes, our knees, knees, and then we're singing things like head, shoulders, knees, and toes, but then we skip over an entire third of the body because it's private because it's naughty and highly sexualized and not a human body part and not for pleasure. And I think we are doing a great disservice when we don't educate our kids with the age appropriate information about sexuality and what our bodies were made to feel and do all the wonderful things. So you're right. It's not a vagina, but a vulva. The vulva describes all the parts and make up the exterior of your pussy. So here's where I say again, like, you know, It's not maybe for your children to call it that, but it's not maybe for you to call it that. So vulva would be the word for it. The vagina is located inside next to the cervix. Insider tip though, the vagina has no nerve endings. What a relief, right? When those babies come sliding down, we don't want to feel anything more than we already are. It doesn't have any, you can squeeze your weenus, which is your elbow skin, I just like that word and think it's a, it's the same. Feel how you feel nothing. You're just pinching elbow skin. That's basically the nerve endings of a vagina. 
very different than the nerve endings on the on the exterior of the vulva, right? I've heard sexologists referring to the pussy as the VV, your VV. And I can actually get down with that, like way down. It implies the person using the term knows the difference enough to know that, you know, there's two Vs here. There's the vulva and there's the vagina. So maybe we want to go with the VV with our kids, your kids. Mine have their own names. I also want to point out that this discussion and misnaming or questioning to what we call the genitals is statistically limited to the female body. Shocker. Society doesn't seem to have a problem making sure a boy knows he has a penis, a shaft, a cock, a dick. I regret not informing my child of their clit earlier. The body part, that is. I was a little nonchalant about it. I think it's important for those assigned female at birth to know that your body is the only body born with an organ whose sole purpose is to feel pleasure. This little clit is an organ made up of 8,000 nerve endings. And that's all it does is feel pleasure. It has no other purpose. Whereas the penis has 4,000 nerve endings at the tip of its head. And it's a multi-tool. I mean, that's cool. But if you ask me, we should be bragging about the sweet little power button that informs the female of its birthright and source of pleasure, teaching our girls that they can please themselves and feel good by the way of their own hands is something I wish we were more deliberate and conscious of. After years of working in my shop and reflecting on my own sexual experiences, it occurred to me that most heterosexual women learn their bodies by way of another man's hands and wants not through our own self-exploration. I recommend giving your daughters permission to explore their bodies and to create a vocabulary describing what they find feels good and where so they can learn to communicate their needs and pleasure in the bedroom with their partners. Exploring sex and pleasure with a partner is all about equality and being able to share your likes and dislikes and needing to know the vocabulary and language communicated is your responsibility but that requires us as parents opening up the dialogue, asking them what they know, if they have questions, and remaining in a place of not knowing. Your experience and education are probably a little bit dated. They've had access to information from kids on the internet in ways you couldn't begin to fathom and are more likely to go there with their questions than go to you. Now, you may actually know that your kids are going to the internet or to porn sites or to friends, And when I say you can't really fathom it, I know you can fathom them doing that, but the information they get and the things that they see as maybe more natural and normal right now than we did is what I'm talking about. Some of that stuff generationally just doesn't align. We live in a country that is teaching sex education based on abstinence and STI prevention. In Austin, Texas, the teachers could not use the word sex or talk about sex during sex health education class. It is not their responsibility. At this point, it's ours as parents to educate our children, which starts with having zero shame in naming or calling the parts what they are and explaining what they're capable of doing, not just procreating, but pleasure. So here's for the V and the V, the VV. Let's go with that. What do we got here now? Oh, I had a client reach out to me to talk about her recent breakup. Yes, this is good. This is about journaling. I love this. And she said, you'd never believe it. I went back. I read my journals over the years and my unhappiness is all there. He's been the same person and hasn't changed a bit. It's wild that it's written 
all in my journals. It's been there the entire time. Renegades, pardon my delivery, but this is actually the least wild thing. Your brain, the way it thinks, how you react, your beliefs are probably the most consistent thing about you, the most predictable behavior about you. You cannot believe your thoughts. You are running a program that is so subconscious and interpreting things based on your experience that you're basically informing your current experiences based on past thoughts, patterns, belief systems, like an algorithm. Your brain is designed to be efficient when it comes down to its thinking and emotions. It is all stored, allowing you to run on autopilot, preserving precious brain energy, which I find a great deal of relief knowing this, which is precisely why my method of journaling is slightly different than the average. When our thinking is causing us pain or discomfort, when we're so entangled in our story about what the other person did, feeling vindicated and right, I was so right, I knew it all along, we actually feel pretty shitty. And you don't realize your desire to be right is hurting you. You'd rather be right than let go of the story and give yourself some relief. Most people, when they journal, they write out the story of what happened and they continue to lay in that story, stay in that story. And the brain keeps gathering more and more evidence to fluff it up and prove you right. And this is where I say, don't take the first think. Of course, put it on paper, but look at how it's making you feel. And remember, it's not the person's actions making you feel this way. It's your thoughts about what they are doing that cause your feelings. Feelings don't come from the outside of you. They are built from within. So you want to write down the facts, write down a thought that you have about the facts. Ask yourself how it makes you feel thinking that. Now, same fact, write down what else it might mean or ask yourself how you want to feel instead, how you, what you would want to believe. How would you experience the situation if you felt and believed this? How would you act then? You could come up with five to 10 different viewpoints. It doesn't mean you feel great about, say, the breakup, but it might move you from blame or shame into acceptance and sadness. I like to borrow thoughts from friends to help give me different perspectives. And one of my friends, actually, who handled my PR, Miss Alex, shameless plug, has the most positive, innocent outlook on things, like, and on people, the whole, all the happenings. She's looking at all the, all the stuff in a way that my brain doesn't like where I see dead ends and doom and gloom. She's like, wait, what? No, this is what's happening. And I'm like, Oh my God, how do you do that? Like to get out of your own algorithm, think of people you admire or think of people who act a certain way in a certain role and ask yourself in your mind, what would they think? I promise it feels better when you allow yourself to process emotions of what is happening so you can move through an experience in a clean way. And when we stay stuck in a story, we're not processing. We're just spinning and reeling. Rinse cycle, which is normal. That is the way the human brain is designed. I want to keep reiterating that. We don't want to judge it. We want to be like, oh yeah, that's what we do to stay safe. But then from there, you start to interrogate the fuck out of your brain because this motherfucker will bring you down if you believe what it says. So like I said, the moral of this story is don't believe your journals unless you are constantly interrogating yourself as you're right. They are just made up thoughts, not facts. 
we get to choose what we want to believe about the facts and circumstances in our lives. Don't take the first thing. Okay, what do we got here? Ooh, here's one. I'd like to hear from other women why I'm never the one they choose. Why do they want the bad boy? So full disclosure, this is from a friend and former client. I said, that's not true. <laughs> that was my, my first response. The woman you've been telling me about tonight wants more and you've dated in the past who have wanted more and you weren't interested in them. You just said she's not right for you based on certain things. He's like, yeah, but more than not, most women I date tell me they aren't looking for anything serious, but then fall into a relationship with a guy that hasn't been good to them. I was like, bro, this totally reminds me of dads versus cats, this study once done. And it was maybe a little bit heteronormative and narrow, but some of it was pretty like stereotypically true. So I was like, you're not the bad boy or the cad, the guy who wants to like procreate with as many women as possible to spread his alpha like seed and not settle down, if you will, which, you know, be a player. And you know, currently the CAD dad player isn't looking to have all these babies, but it's an evolutionary design. So I was like, you're the dad, the provider, the structured, you want a woman to tend to and look out for and protect. And later that night, <laughs> I was thinking about our conversation and some of the women he's dated. And I thought, whoa, wait, you aren't choosing the women who are into dads. You are choosing women who just want to be with the bad boys and the cats, but in some ways they are themselves. And I say this, and I know this because, hello, people might speculate that I might be, but anyway, this isn't about that. They aren't looking for serious right now. They aren't doing somewhat traditional dynamics. They don't want to settle down. But here's the thing. This is the most important. I think there are more productive questions than why are those women choosing the bad boys over me? The more productive question might be, why am I not choosing the women who tell me they are available? What's really holding me back when they tell me they want more and the things that they're interested in, what's blocking my curiosity to see what's possible here. You know, friend, I know you're listening. I want you to flip this thing on its head a little bit. Okay. Renegades, you can expect more of this ongoing series of FAQs. If you want to read some questions that I actually responded to recently about being 66 and sending nudes to a long distance lover that you've never met or how to make a sexy video head on over to my column in Tribeza. If you go to Tribeza, it's kind of amazing. It's under local and then it's Ashley's column. <laughs> Talk about a real shameless plug. God, that wasn't even my intention. All right, I'm running late. I got to get to dinner. I hope you guys have a wonderful weekend and I will talk to you next week. Bye. Hey, Renegades. If you're finding the tools and concepts I'm sharing each week about your brain on dating, you won't want to miss out on working with me one-on-one. -on -one. I've just launched my program, Wake Up Before Another Breakup, and in just eight weeks, you won't question if you can trust yourself to date or why you can't find the one. Head on over to modernrenegades.com forward slash programs to learn more about it and how you can work with me. Let's learn how to lose ourselves in the moment, not the man.